0: Thanks for tuning in and making Res Life a part of your day. Whether this is your first time listening or this is a part of your weekly rhythm, we are glad you're here. If you'd like to connect more throughout the week, check us out at reslife.org, download our app, or follow us on social media. It's time for today's message, so let's dive in. Well, good evening, everybody. I'm excited. We are going to have a fun evening tonight. I've had A message on my brain for like a month that, um, in fairness, I got excited about this for me and then thought, you know what? I bet other people would be interested in this as well. As I started diving into this, I think this message is special for parents, grandparents, mentors, people of influence, people who come in contact with others, followers of Jesus with applications for those who avoid people and those who don't know yet Jesus. So I think that should cover all of you. Um, so everybody should have something from this that you can take away. But I've titled this, How to Pass on Your Faith to Others. Um, and if you're a parent, this really should hit home, grandparent. But even if, if not, um, this message is still for you. As I was reading in my Bible in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 5, I came across something that jumped out at me and it, it was the good news, and then I found the bad news, and then I was like, all right, well, what do we do about it? And so that's kind of where we're going to run today. So in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 5, we find some good news. It says, I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and now I'm sure dwells in you as well. And I read that, and I'm like, okay, cool. Wait a second. Like, The faith got passed from one generation to the next, to the next. And I thought, that's awesome. This is the good news. Our faith can get passed on. But then I thought about a verse um, in Judges chapter 2. And it says, And all that generation also were gathered to their fathers, and there arose another generation after them who did not know the Lord or the work that he had done for Israel. And in this verse, I found the bad news. Passing on your faith doesn't happen automatically. And so as I begin to look at this going, okay, so the good news is I can pass it on, but the bad news is it won't just happen magically. It leaves us with, well, then then how? How do I pass on my faith? And there are some in here who go, yes, but I don't have kids. And that's okay. 1 Corinthians 4.15 says that you're part of this. It's for though you have countless guides in Christ, you do not have many fathers, for I became your father in Christ through the gospel. And he goes, you can pour into somebody and you can pour your faith into somebody who is not your biological child. And it doesn't have to be you an adult and kid whose faith you're gonna be poured into. It might be that person who's stuck working beside you eight hours a day. That you go, you know what, hey, They can't help but brush shoulders with me, so I'm going to let my faith ooze out on them. It might be your neighbor. It might be your friend. But we are all called to pass on our faith. If you have faith in Jesus, if you call yourself a Christian or a follower of Jesus, then we're called to pass on our faith. In fact, we call it the Great Commission. In Matthew chapter 28, verse 19, he says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And as I was looking at this, I'm like, this is awesome. Uh, in Genesis 18, verse 19, he says, for I have chosen him that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord. This was a command. This was not a suggestion it was not like, you know what, maybe, you, no, he goes, no, this is something that you are called to do. This is something that I am called to do. And so then it can happen. It's not automatic, but I have been told, I have been commissioned that this is our job as followers of Jesus to pass on our faith. And as I, as I get into this, I wanted to make a pause because I don't want anyone in here to feel condemned if you have what we'd often call as a prodigal. If you have children who aren't loving Jesus. Um, I know I've, I have sat down and I have prayed to people in the room for their kids who aren't loving Jesus. So I know that they're here. I know that people are watching online. Um, this is not to say, hey, if you do these five steps, everything will be perfect. Um, but these are tools and things that will help. I have news for you. You're not perfect. Um, But you know who is? God. You're not going to find another. Adam and Eve blew it. God is perfect. He set them in a perfect garden and they had one rule and they still managed to blow it. You want to fast forward a few thousand years? Jesus. Perfect Jesus had 12 disciples. One of them denied him and another one betrayed him. So there is the possibility that you do great things and that somebody still makes a choice that you disagree with, that someone still doesn't do things well. So do not feel condemned if you've got prodigals. And if I make it through enough points, we'll go through what to do with your prodigals now. But I have have a lot of points but I have a limited time window. And for those who are like, but my stomach's hungry. Don't worry. I will let the clock, not my points, dictate when we dismissed. So you will be good. But as I started thinking about this, um, there are some heroes in the Bible. And they're, they're awesome for different things. But I, as I was thinking, I'm like, you know, there are some heroes who did a great job passing on their faith And you look at Paul, and and he's talking about Timothy and different ones. But there are some people who were legends, whose kids were idiots. And I was like, what happened? Like, where is the disconnect from, like, this amazing, godly, lead the nation leader to their kids who have nothing to do with God? And so I wanted to look at some of them and go, what can I learn from them? Where did they go wrong? And is that the same spot that we're going wrong? So there's two guys that that stories kind of overlap. And the fact that they overlap is all the more evidence or confusion around this. So check this out. There's a guy named Eli and there's a boy named Samuel. You'll find both of them in the beginning of the book of 1 Samuel. And when you when you find them at first the first encounter you see Eli who's the priest. He is the one who is representing the nation to God and God to the nation. And he loves God. And one day he's at the temple and this lady comes in and she is like babbling and teared and he's like she's drunk. And so he comes up to her and he's like, Why are you drunk? And she's like, I'm not drunk, you fool. Like, you can call him a fool. But she's like, I'm not drunk. I am praying. I am pouring my heart out to God. Oh, and he's like, Oh, sorry. Well, may God grant your request. And, uh, and God did. So her request was that she would have a kid. And she said, God, if you give me a kid, I will give my kid to you. Now, she gets pregnant after this, she has a kid. And she goes, All right, God, I promised that I would give my kid to you. So once my kid is weaned, I'm gonna bring him to the temple, and my child is going to serve you all the days of their life. So, so right here we we now have Samuel like living in the temple and working with Eli. But if we look at Eli's story, if we go on to chapter two, verse twelve, it says, Now the sons of Eli were worthless men, they did not know the Lord. But but Eli loved God. Why didn't they? And my first thought was, well, Eli must have been a lousy dad, right? It's an easy thought. But who raised Samuel? Eli, for the most part. Like, he was with mom until he got weaned. And I'm sure that she played a significant role in like in her heart, in pouring into him. She dedicated him to the Lord and she would see him every like year when she came for the annual sacrifice, which that's pretty limited. So he is spending significant time with Eli as the primary person pouring into him. So how come he comes out loving God while Eli's sons did not? And as I was looking at this, I'm like, what is this difference? And then I noticed something. When, in chapter 2, you're going to discover that God speaks to Samuel. And you know where Samuel's at? In the temple with Eli. Do you know where Eli's sons were? Not in the temple. And I begin to look and go, okay, so, so Eli, he had a lot of things to do. He had a lot of important things to do. So, Eli wasn't the number one influence in his children. He spent more time pouring into Samuel in serving the Lord than he did with his own children. And his children didn't grow up with the same fear of the Lord. They didn't grow up with his love of the Lord. And so I was pondering this But then you look at Samuel. Samuel grows up and Samuel loves the Lord. And Samuel, like, goes on and is way cooler than Eli. And he's doing great stuff. And if you read through the book of 1 Samuel, you'll see a bunch of the cool things that he does. But in chapter 8, verse 3, talking about Samuel, yet his sons did not walk in his ways, but turned aside after gain and took bribes and perverted justice. And I was, again, I was like, man, why? Why? But if you follow his story, he was important, and he was busy, and you hardly hear tale of his kids until they come around not knowing God. I'm like, it's because you left raising your kids to somebody else. And I'm assuming Mom did a lot, but I'm assuming that Mom didn't have the same love for God that he did because the kids didn't pick it up. And I, and, I, and I began looking through this, and I'm like, okay, is there a pattern of this? I mean, I see these two guys, but I looked into the kings, because if you read through 1 Samuel, 2 Samuel, 1 Kings, 2 Kings, 1 and 2 Chronicles, you'll discover this, like, like this king, they give, like, a report cards for kings. And it, like, starts out, and it's like, this king loved the Lord and was great and served 25 years in Judah and then it, like, tells you about him, and then it's like, and then his son became king and loved the Lord, or his son became king and did not walk in his ways, and gives this, like, bad report. And I'm like, you would think it would, like, pass on more. I'm like, why? And then I, I saw something. Um, in, in King, uh, 2 Kings chapter 10, it's talking about this king. And he's got, first off, he's got a whole bunch of wives. That's a problem. Um. But he had a bunch of kids, but he was busy. So he sent his kids to another city to get raised by the elders of that city. And he passed off the responsibility of pouring into his children and raising his children onto others. And I look and I'm like, okay, that's, that's awful. And like, it's really easy with thousands of years of... Um, perspective to look and be like, that was a bad idea. Like, right? You know, I mean, you look and you're like, it didn't work out well. They didn't love the Lord. And they, they didn't get the same kind of um, of teaching and being poured into. And we'll get into some more of those in, in more points. But as I was looking at this and judging people that were thousands of years apart, I began to think about our society and realize that this problem hasn't gone away. Now, most of you don't have uh, a whole bunch of wives and 70 children, um, hopefully. So, but that has not meant that the problem went away. I began to look and realize that there is a lot of parents who are really busy who leave their kids to be raised by the schools, by the sports teams, by the TV. And then they turn around and are completely shocked that their children's values reflect the schools, the sports teams, and the TV's attitudes and viewpoints. And And I just begin to look at going, well, what does it look like to be on purpose and involved? As I looked at these stories, I said, point number one, if I want my children to to know Jesus, if I want to pass on my faith, whether it's my children or whether it's my friends, I need to be involved in that place. And I can't pass it on. And I have to be on purpose. I can't assume that it's going to happen by accident just because I want it to. And I go, well, what does it look like to be involved? In fact, like as I've been studying this, I've been having conversations with my wife and reevaluating my own parenting and like, all right, hey, what am I doing to on purpose pass on my faith? And I know that there are some in here who are like, we are homeschooling because we want to be involved and good on you. But I recognize that that is not an option for every person. But that doesn't mean you just back off and go, well, the school's just going to do whatever they want to do get involved. My wife went to a school board meeting the other day and she said it was shocking because the school was doing dumb things. The amount of parents that were there was like four. And she's like, no one is here. No one is involved. They're like trying to bring up the fact that they've got porn in the school for the kids written out and they're like, this isn't okay. And the school board's like, yeah, we heard you. We've got systems. Like apparently your systems are broken because it's still here. But what are they waiting for? They're waiting for, they're either going to push their agenda unless the, the parents get involved and say, no, this isn't okay. And I was trying to find all the websites for you guys. And they were like coming through at the very like last second trying to, um, but I think it's booklook.info will report on a bunch of these different books and gives them a rating system so you can know, hey, what is it that they're putting in, in libraries? And then depending on your school, there's sites where you can go through and find out what books are in your kid's library. Because if we're not involved, we can't be surprised. And it's we, we can't be surprised that it didn't turn out the way that we wanted when we're like, well, Everything is wonderful. It's because you can't see it. But I've had conversations recently with so many different parents, and they're like, yeah, there are schools somewhere in our nation that are doing awful stuff. And you're like, yeah, there's probably one within three miles of you. It's probably your local public school that your taxes are funding. They're like, no. Not our schools. And I hope you're right, but I doubt it. And so I want to challenge you to be involved. I want to challenge you to care. Whether you're a parent, a grandparent, or you just say, they, they made me pay taxes, so I get to have an opinion. And my opinion is going to be the Bible. And I'm going to let it shine. I'm going to let it come out. Uh, and it's, it's such a powerful Powerful thing and it's it's true, even if it's not a parental thing. you can go hey i'm going to be involved I'm going to be on purpose, and I'm going to choose to let my light shine. When I went to college, I got a job as a telemarketer. I know I know don't cuss me out, don't throw things at me and don't hang up on me but uh, it was like, I needed a job, and I was at home doing an assignment we'd just gotten there, and I didn't know where to look for a job yet because I just moved into the country and I got a phone call and they're like, we want to sell you an alarm system. Do you need an alarm system? I said, no, I need a job. And they go, we can hire you. I'm like, all right, where are you at? And they they were like a mile away. It was great. I walked there and uh, I got hired, but it was really cool because I got to be on purpose. The place that I worked was not a Christian organization. The people that I worked with weren't Christians until I got a bunch of Christians hired. But I went through and I was like, you know what? I can be intentional. And so they're all like gathering around, and we're making phone calls, and we've got like a page full of phone numbers and a ruler, and you're like, all right, call this one, and then you write down, um, yeah, so you're crossing names off lists and putting, whether you got, got a person, got a voicemail, or got a, um, got a lead out of it. So you're, we're, we're making these calls, but between phone calls, you're all holler talking, and they're like, what'd you do this weekend? And they're like, I got hammered. Like, what'd you do? I'm like, I went to church, and it was amazing, and they're like, oh, and... But like, they didn't know how to handle it because they were excited about getting drunk and I was excited about Jesus. But the questions was just bouncing around so I took the opportunity to tell them how good Jesus was. And they did look at me funny and they made some jokes because I didn't drink until poo hit the fan in their life. And they're all like, hey, um, now that, that things are going wrong, rather than talking to the person who's gonna get, got drunk last week, they're like, hey, you go to could you could you pray for me? And all of a sudden the tables turned and things opened up. And I got to be a light in a place and I got to begin to pass on my faith. They weren't my children. They weren't people I was officially mentoring, but they were people who I had contact with and I was able to be a light. And I want to encourage you that it doesn't matter whether or not it's just your children. As parents, I have an invested interest and I care more about whether my children make it to heaven than anybody else. But that doesn't mean that if you don't have children, you can't care if someone goes to heaven. And so as I I do this, I don't want you to check out. I want you to recognize that you can do this wherever you are. Number two, if I want to pass on my faith, I need to model it. Um, 1 Corinthians 11.1 says, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. And I I mentioned this verse from Genesis earlier about Abraham, but there's there's another nugget in it. In Genesis 18.19, it says, for I have chosen him, that he may command his children and his household after him. Do you realize that means he couldn't just do this, do that. That would not be after him. That would be pointing your children in a direction that it was a good idea. But he was supposed to command them to come after him. So he was supposed to lead the way and set the example. And as, as followers of Jesus... We should be setting the example. Definitely as parents, we should be setting the example. And, excuse me, I need to breathe to, um, to continue preaching here. So as, as I began looking at this, this is one of the areas where I was really looking and thinking about how my parents passed their faith on. There were things that my parents did that were intentional, And then there were things that I didn't know if they were doing intentionally, but it was amazing. As a kid, there wasn't a question of, will you read your Bible? It was like, are you big enough yet to read your Bible? It wasn't a if, it was a matter of when. And what little kid wants to be a little kid? Every little kid's like, I want to be big. I am big. Hence the reason, like, how old are you? I am four and a half, thank you. You're like, you turned four yesterday. Well, it's a big half, but they want to be big. They want to be recognized for being big. And I just watched my parents get in the word and they, they invited me into the word. They invited it by asking, hey, what did you get out of the word? They invited, hey, did you get to read your proverb yet today? And you're like, oh, well, they brought it in. They modeled it. I saw them in the word. I saw them in the Word regularly, like, like daily. You'd, you'd see them, and you'd get this invitation in to be a part of it. And it wasn't just, hey, I read it, I checked it off a list, I'm done. But they modeled going to the Word to find direction. And it wasn't just when I was in trouble. There are a lot of parents who only use the Bible to correct. And the Bible is great for correction, but you want your children to love it and to recognize it is not just what comes right before a spanking. It's not, you have violated this rule, therefore you have this consequence. But it was like, oh, even when I was like, hey, can I go do this? I was like, well, what does the Bible have to say? Is that a kind of, the kind of movie that would honor God? Do you want to go see that? Hey, you know what? The Bible says that we should avoid the appearance of sexual immorality, would this thing that you're asking about, what would it look like? You're like, ah, probably sketchy, but I won't be sketchy. Yeah, but what does the verse say? Okay, and they brought decision-making back to the word. They modeled it, they invited me in, and it became part of my life. And this is, this is not just exclusive to faith. Like, I, I begin to ask, I asked a bunch of people around, I was like, all right, what, do your parent, what did your parents do that you do? Or what did your parents do that you don't now do? And why? And I began asking people this, going, you know, how did they pass things along? And I began thinking about weird stuff. There's a lot of weird stuff that my dad did and things I even used to give him a hard time about that I now do. And I got thinking about it. I'm like, well, what are some of the things that he passed on? And what are some of the things that he did a lot that he didn't pass on? And, and we looked at the faith side and then I thought about it and I'm like, you know what? My dad biked a ton. Like, I don't know, he biked upwards of like 5,000 miles a year on a pedal bike. And I didn't pick it up. And I thought about it. I'm like, what? why did I not pick that up from him? Because he did it. But I never did it with him because he would bike really far and really fast. So that wasn't something that I picked up. But one of the things that I did pick up was he would work out in the basement on a regular basis and he invited me to do that. And so I worked out with him in the basement until I moved out of the house. And then years went by and I discovered I was not getting enough exercise on purpose or on accident, so I needed to do something on purpose. So you know what I did? I got weights in my basement. And I started working out, and I got a spin bike for the basement because, like, I need to do something. And I started riding it, and then a friend goes, hey. Well, oh, actually, I, then I was curious. I'm like, is this anything near reality? So I took a bike, and I got out there, I did a little bit of riding just to see how close to reality my spin bike was. And then my friend of mine's like, hey, you, you, you should ride with us. Like, you're doing decent. You should come ride with us. And a friend didn't just do it. A friend invited me to do it with him. And I was like, well, that'll be fun. And so I went out and I biked with him. And I'm like, this is a blast. And my friend, he is an insane athlete. To say that he could have kicked my butt on the bike was, we're not in the same league by any means. And, but... He, he did it with me. He encouraged me. And I begin to like it. And I begin to do it. And now I'm biking a bunch. But I was, it was interesting as I begin to look at it going, I picked it up when someone modeled it. They didn't just do it, but they invited me to be a part of doing it with them. And I, I, I'm going to make some people mad, okay? Um, and if this is you, I apologize kind of. But I think if I was to leave this untouched, it would be unloving. As I look at modeling it, we would like to select which things we model that our kids see. We want to do whatever we want to do and be like, could you copy this one, skip that one, that one, and that one, and do this one? Um, Could you model, could you copy what I intended and not what I did? Like, this is just a thing. But one of the things that saddens me greatly is seeing kids that don't, kids leave the faith. But one of the areas that I have seen parents poorly model in a way that they don't realize that they're poorly modeling um, is with church. And and this is, I'm preaching to the choir because here you are on a beautiful Sunday night, but uh, they are, those that are planted in the house of the Lord, they flourish in the courts of our God. In Hebrews, we're told not to neglect the meeting together as some are in the habit, but encourage one another all the more as you see the, the, as you see the day drawing near. I can't tell you how many families are very faithful in church unless, unless it's sports season, unless it's summer, unless fill in the blank with their reasons that they stop attending for different times. And the parents go, I still love Jesus, but this is what they don't realize that they modeled. They modeled that church is important if you don't have something better to do. And they're like, yeah, yeah, church is important and we only miss for these, this three-month season of, of summer or of travel baseball or of travel whatever. And, and I, I began looking at it and I, I got thinking, you know, there's two stats that have recently, that have been changing. Statistic number one is how often a family attends church. It used to be that, that a family that said they attend church was there three, probably three times a month, three or four or more. Now it's once or twice a month. And the statistic of children who are walking away from the faith and who aren't staying connected in the church has skyrocketed. I don't think that's a coincidence. I think those are connected. I think that they have seen the model that this is something you add to your plate when you want to, that it's not a priority that we put God first. And then they wonder why when their kids go off to college, it's not a priority. See, they only thought that they were missing for these big things and for this special late night because of this event. And their kids are like, yeah, I had a special event every night and I wanted to sleep in, so I didn't go to church. I learned it from you. And, and it can be this, this thing where they don't realize what it is that they have passed on and what it is that they've modeled. And I want to challenge all of us to look and to go, am I modeling what I want my kids to follow? My, my parents have said this. They said, A, uh, parents' compromises will become their children's normals. And when we're modeling it, we have to choose on purpose what we model so that our kids can carry on our faith. I'm going to skip point number three because point number four is more important and I don't know how much time I have. So, point number four. And if you don't have it three in your notes, it's because I didn't list it yet. But correct and redirect. Proverbs 29, verse 15, the rod of reproof give wisdom, but a child left to himself brings shame to his mother. We live in a culture that is all about rewarding everybody for everything they did or did not do. And there is this like movement for, I don't even know what, they've been like names for parenting where you never tell your kid that they were wrong. Okay, uh, it just says here that if you do that, that kid will bring shame to his mother. It says that if you discipline your son and he will give you rest and will give you delight to your heart. Dis- not correcting is not loving. It is selfish. And the amount of parents who want to be their kid's friend, and so instead of being willing to confront an issue, just let everything slide, is astounding. Do you realize that aging happens by accident? Maturing requires choices. And if we want them to mature, if we want them to grow, we have to be willing to have difficult conversations. One of the heroes who was amazing, who failed as a parent was David. If you read through David's story, David did all sorts of things. And and this is astounding. So David, if you're not familiar with David, David became the second king of Israel. David killed a giant as a kid, when none of the soldiers wanted to fight the giant. David, when on the run, collected the losers of Israel. Like, if you read about it, this group shows up, and it said they were all discontent, in debt, and, like, goes through and lists all the people with problems, and they surround David. And then they become David's mighty men, and they, like, single-handedly take on armies, and it's, like, crazy, crazy. But when David's also known for it, he made he, he made a massive moral failure. Tried to cover it up, got called out, and repented. But, and I don't know if it's connected to his own internal failure that made him feel bad about it, but he never corrected his children. In 1 Kings chapter 1, verse 6, it's talking about Uh, one of David's children, he says, his father had never at any time displeased him by asking, why have you done thus and so? And he was very handsome and then it goes on to say that he led a rebellion against his father. And I began looking at this and thinking about it. One of David's children raped one of his other children and David didn't do anything about it. So and they, they were like half siblings. But his, her full-blooded brother gets mad and kills the, the half-brother because he raped her. And David doesn't do anything. And rebellion and a complete like revolt happens as his son tries to overthrow him. And I begin looking at this going, if we don't discipline our children, it's wrong. If we are unwilling to have hard conversations and our culture says, you have to agree with me. And if you don't agree with me, you don't love me. And I look at them and go, that's stupid. If I let my kids do whatever they want, they'd be dead. Do you realize my kids still like, it was years, before they figured out why I wouldn't let them just bolt across the parking lot? They wanted to play in the road? And you're like, no, no loving dad would let them do that. So why would I let them do something later in life that's gonna destroy them? Then how would it be loving to just go, oh, that's okay, good for you. You're making a horrible choice. It's gonna mess up your life. Just because culture says it's okay. Okay. And it's, it's true on hot topic issues, but it's not just true on hot topic issues. It's true on how they handle money. It's true on how they handle conflict. It's true in how they re- respond to authority. And if I don't have conversations and I'm not willing to, to correct them, then I am not loving them and I am not going to pass things on. In Deuteronomy, it says, you shall not do according to all that we are doing here today, everyone doing whatever is right in their own eyes. But that's what our culture wants to do. Our culture's motto is whatever you wanna do, whatever you desire is okay, and whatever you believe is good enough. And you're like, but yeah, but that's bogus. Like, it's so what culture pushes, but if if we don't make a stand somewhere, then then our children are left to follow whatever they feel like. And our feelings are a horrible driver. If I did whatever I felt like, I would have blown up my alarm clock a long time ago. I mean, you think about it. If you just did whatever you felt like, you'd be fired and fat. Like, you'd be like, like, who feels like working out? And everyone feels like eating donuts. And like, we can go through this. And no one feels like waking up and going to work every day. If we let our feelings drive, we would be in a mess. And we have to be able to teach our children going, no, feelings aren't going to drive you. We need to be willing to have conversations and go, you know what, this is what the Bible says. And if you don't like it, well, that's a bummer, but that's still what the Bible says. If my children don't like that I told them they can't play in the road, that's too bad. If I tell them that it's hot and they don't like it, that's a bummer, but it's still hot. And there are so many areas in life that I can look at and go, this is a path that the Bible says leads to destruction. Proverbs 16, 25 says, there's a way that seems right to a man, but in the end, it leads to death. If I let them go down that path, that's not loving. And even with our friends, we need to be willing to have difficult conversations. If your friend stands there and sees you about to go for an interview and there's a booger hanging out of your nose and they say nothing, they're not a good friend, right? So if, if being a good friend requires me to say something, if there's something hanging out of your nose, how much more if I see you walking into a relationship that's gonna destroy your life? What if I know that the Bible says that you shouldn't be unequally yoked, but you're dating somebody who's not a believer because they're good looking or have money or whatever? They're really nice. So? The Bible did not say, you should not marry an unbeliever unless they're really nice and have a six pack. Like, no, like, that's not, that's not what it says. So if, if I want to pass on my faith, I need to be willing to have these conversations. And as I'm modeling it, going back to the last point, I need to be willing to be corrected. Correction didn't stop when I turned 18. I still have people in my life to correct me. My dad still has permission to correct me. And when I get done preaching, if he's in here, I get to look forward to getting encouraged and corrected. (laughs) Going, hey, you did a great job. That was a great point. But, you did, you said, you should have, or you paused here, and he'll correct different things. And I'm like, sweet, kind of. Like, I want to grow, but it's not always pleasant to be told you're wrong. But if I'm never told that I'm wrong, do you realize I'll never reach my potential? That whether it's a matter of faith, whether it's a matter of preaching or something stupid as biking, my friends who get me into biking still will tell me, hey, this is what you got to do. This is what you did wrong. Here's how to do this. Here's when we're in the race. Here's who you want to follow. Here's how you don't want to follow. Here's how you got to take a corner. There's all these different things that they'll, they'll share with me. And I sit here and go, thank you, because you've been down the road and you crashed. So I don't need to. Let me learn from you. So how much more on the things in life that really matter? And the Bible goes through and says that there's relationships that we shouldn't have. It says that I need to avoid an angry man lest I learn his ways and, to, and I'm also ensnared. It goes through and tells me, you know, what kind of person to date and to marry. It tells us what kind of a relationship qualifies as marriage. There are so many different things that it tells us and we need to go back to it and we need to be willing to have these conversations. And, and it's true with our children. I've had these conversations with people who weren't my children and we need to learn how to do it in love so that they can receive it. Not walking around going, hey, you, you're an idiot and you're going to hell. Like that does, that's not a good way for a conversation. That's not a way to win a heart. The, the Bible says that a soft answer turns away wrath and that a gentle tongue can break a bone. It can be so powerful. And I remember working with somebody in college and it's the same company, but I, I went from being in the call center to working in shopping centers where we would ha- have a booth and I got to work with somebody and, and talking to the person that I worked with and they are like, wait, do you, do you mean God actually expects us to do this? Like, yes, the Bible is not just for show. Like, no, this is, this is actual instructions. And I was able to have conversations and lay it out going, yeah, this is why I do things. And we can have those conversations at work and it may be going, hey, how come you won't smudge the numbers here? You're like, because I want to honor God and be a person of integrity. And they may look at you and go, yeah, but I, I want my report to look good. You go, well, whatever I do, you can trust that it's honest because I want to honor God. And you can begin to be a light. You don't have to sit here and go, you evil, vile person, you! How dare you think about fudging the numbers? You don't have to like sit there and beat them with it, but you can go, you know what? Hey, this is what guides me. And we can have a conversation. Sorry, I was a little scary on that point, apparently. Um, (laughs) Harsh words don't always work. Um, But we need to be willing not to just go fault-finding in other people, but we need to be willing to go, "This is what I'm living for, and I'll have a conversation. And if you don't like it, I will be loving, I will be kind, but my opinion stays here. And the list of, of things and, and continues, and maybe we'll have to do a part two, but, but I want to make sure that I pass on my faith. I want to pass it on to my children. I want to pass it on to those who come on Sunday nights. I want to pass it on to those I bike with. I want to pass it on to my neighbors. And as I I think about it, I'm going, but yes, but do you have a faith that is your own? Or maybe you grew up coming to church, but that's as far as it went. And I want to give people an opportunity. If you say, you know what? While you talk about sharing your faith, I don't have my own faith. I may know a lot about God, but I have never placed my hope in him. And maybe it's because of somebody who claimed it who didn't live it. Maybe you had someone who instead of modeling it, just pointed and said, you should do that while I do the opposite. But I want you to know that God loves you and he wants a relationship with you. That God has a good plan for you. And that this faith is amazing. And it's life-changing. And I want to, invite you into this relationship. Jesus says he stands at the door of our heart knocking. He said that if we would respond to his invitation, that he would come in, that he would make us clean and that he would have a relationship with us. So I want to, I want to do what he says in Romans. I want to call on his name. I'm going to invite those who've done this before to repeat after me. And then those who say, hey, today I want to make him my Lord. And then I'm gonna ask who's prayed this from their heart and made this decision today. So go ahead and bow your heads, close your eyes, and let's, let's pray this together. Say, God, I believe that Jesus died on the cross. I believe his blood paid the price for my sins. I believe he rose again, victorious over death, sin. And the devil. I give him all of my heart and all of my life. I hold nothing back. I receive Jesus as my King and my Lord. I will no longer live for myself. I will live for him. In Jesus name. Amen. Thanks for listening. We hope you've been encouraged by this message. For more information, if you're in need of prayer or just want to connect with the community, go to reslife.org, follow us on social media, or email us anytime at reslife at reslife.org. We hope you have a blessed day, and we will see you again soon.